We come now to look into God's Word together for a few moments this evening. Psalm 27, we're going to uh, walk through the entirety of this psalm, if the Lord so allows. And uh, consider this tonight, the idea of faith versus fear. You know, in the realm of modern psychology, there are all sorts of fears out there. Well over 700, in fact, that have been uh, uh, diagnosed and, and, and marked from a scientific and medical standpoint. And honestly, some of them, you would have a hard time believing that these fears were true. But at least from what I read on the internet, they are. A couple that I found very interesting. One is ablutophobia. That would be the fear of bathing or washing. That would stink, wouldn't it? (laughs) Chromatophobia. Fear of colors. Ergophobia. Fear of work. (laughs) Moving on. All right, now you got to bear with me on this one, all right? This is a $10 word. Hexacosioi hexag. Contahexaphobia. I know. That is the fear of the number 666. Pogonophobia, that's the fear of beards. My daughter had that for a time. She was terrified of Lawrence Runkle, just terrified. And Gene Sharp. This is one of my favorite. Phobophobia. That's the fear of having fear. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, when it comes to fear in this life, I think there's really only one valid fear out there, and that is arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. The only spider, the only good spider is a dead spider, amen? And can I go a little farther? The only good spider is a dead spider that is swirling its way down the john. A lot of fear out there. A lot of fear. On a serious note, we look at Psalm 27. Psalm 27 was written by David, we believe, as he is on the run from King Saul. Now, David has been anointed by Samuel as the next king, but Saul is determined to eliminate the competition. And David, as he goes through this psalm, he's going to mention here three types of fears that plague the heart. He's going to mention darkness, which is really the unknown. He's going to mention distress, which is, we could call that the unexpected, adverse circumstances that come and take hold of our life. He mentions danger. We might, we might coin that the uncontrollable, other people and things that seek to do us harm. And you know, sometimes the pressures that fear and intimidation put on us will lead us to do and say things that we wouldn't normally do and say, I have seen grown men, no names please, run like little girls at the sound of a bumblebee. I'm one of them. I hate bees. But the truth is, whether we're talking about the unknown, whether we're talking about the unexpected, or we're talking about that which we feel is the uncontrollable, that every one of us can relate with those fears in our own life. 
Maybe it's the uncertainty of a job situation. Maybe it's the, uh, the, the unknown of a medical situation or an unexpected thing that has interjected itself into your heart and life. Maybe it is something that, that you feel is out of your control. Other people, other circumstances that, that have threatened your way of living. And fear grips our hearts and lives. We can relate to that. Now fear, understand church, fear is not intrinsically a bad thing. Fear is an emotion that, that God places within us, and really it triggers what, what, what we call that fight-or-flight response. And by the way, that can be a help, because if you're in danger, you should probably be afraid and do something about it. But the effect that fear has on us is determined by a couple of different things. Number one, the intensity. We might, ask, we might say the question, how severe is it? How bad is it going to hurt? The intensity, how severe. We also can consider the timing. Not only how severe, but how near. Is this an immediate threat or is it something that looms in the distance? By the way, sometimes things that loom in the distance can cause us to cower in fear just as much, if not more, as the thing that steps to our face. So the effect fear has on us is determined by how severe the danger is, how near the danger is. But there's a third effect that really determines the effect that fear has on us. And not only do we see intensity timing, but we also have to consider coping. And that's how we steer our way through. Now, church, we can't help the first two. I, I, I typically can't help how severe something might be or how near something might be. But I certainly can help the last one. How am I going to steer my way through? And this is where faith meets fear. Because I've got to remember that in all things, without faith, what does it say in Hebrews? Without faith, it is, what's the word, church? Impossible to please God. And so as a Christian, whatever that fear might be, I have to take my fear and process it through my faith. The biblical truth about fear is that fear does not come from God. 2 Timothy 1 in verse number 7 reminds us this, that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In fact, the scriptures tell us to fear not some 365 times in the Bible. So we come, to ver we come to Psalm 27. David is probably hiding in a cave, penning these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he faces the fear that grip his heart. And from this psalm tonight, I want us to see how God intends for his children to win the struggle if faith versus fear. Psalm 27, let's start by reading the first three verses together. The Bible says here, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be 
confident. How do we win the battle of faith versus fear? Number one, we see from David that you and I can find confidence in God's person. You and I can find confidence in God's person. Now let me give you some definitions here. In verse number one, he he mentions the word fear and afraid. The word fear means to fill up with dread. The word afraid means to make startled or to make shake. It's, it's, it's what you do when you, when you scare somebody. I can remember growing up in my house, and I've shared this before. We played the awful game of hiding behind the corner, waiting for somebody else to come. And when they would come, bah, we'd scare them. It went a little too far when we started doing it at the top of the stairs. At that point, we kind of had one of those arms treaties and decided certain things were off limits for the health and safety of everybody involved. But fear means to fill with dread. Afraid means to make startled or to make shake. And David said, there are some things in this life that may want to make me fill with dread. There are some things in this life that may startle me or want to make me shake. But you know what? I can find confidence in God's person. I want you to see first that David is confident in his relationship with the Lord. The Bible says the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I want you to note there, even in verse number 1, the threefold use of the word my. Remember tonight, church, when it comes to relationships, they will never be practical and they will never be profitable until it is personal. Until it's personal. You know, give you an example here. The Bible says the Lord is my light and my salvation. Consider this. God is light. Amen? God is light. There's no debate. There's no discussion. From beginning to end, God is light. Genesis 1 and verse number 3. We see light introduced. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Why? Because God is light. You know, when it's all said and done, Revelation 22 and verse number 5, there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither the light of the sun. Why? For the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever from beginning to end. God is light. But saying God is light and appreciating the fact that God is my light. Buddy, those are two different things. And it will never be profitable until it is personal. The question is not whether or not he is light. The question is whether or not he is my light. Jesus said in John 8 in verse number 12, he said, I am the light of the world. That that is a general statement, but look how he makes it personal. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of of life. I'm going to tell you, nothing can replace being confident in my relationship with God. So I'm going to ask you tonight, are you confident in your relationship with God? Are you saved? Are you saved? Do you know that you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that you have a home in heaven? It astounds me how many of us will go through life hoping that things are right between us and God. That is not the kind of salvation that the Bible teaches. These things are written that ye may know. That ye may know. In the Gospel of John it says that ye may know that Jesus is the Christ. In the book of 1 John, that ye might know. That ye might know. 
I'm going to tell you, our salvation is a no-so salvation. Do you know that you're saved? I'm going to tell you, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, I'm going to tell you, that'd be worth finding out. That'd be worth getting settled. That'd be worth knowing that you know that things are right between you and God. Do you know that you're saved? Are you settled? Are you secure? Nothing can replace being confident in my relationship with God. How do we win the battle in faith versus fear? We be confident in our relationship with God. And as we are confident in our relationship with God, we can be confident in our remembrance of what God has done. Do you see what David did in verse 2 and 3? He, he remembered in verse 2, When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me, past tense, to eat up my flesh, what happened? They stumbled and fell. So in verse 2, he remembers what God has done. And with this in mind, he comes to verse 3. He said, and though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Why? Because I remember what he did in verse 2. Though war should rise against me. By the way, they declare war on you personally. That'd make most of us pretty afraid. He said, though war should rise against me. And this will I be confident. You see, with what God had done in mind, David came to the conclusion that it wouldn't matter what rose against him. You know, church, it is a good thing for us to remember what God has done. It is a good thing for us to rehearse the faithfulness of God, the prayers that God has answered, the provision that God has provided, the battles that God has won, the deliverance that God has given, the miracles that we have seen. It is a good thing for us to rehearse on a regular basis the fact that our God is mighty and He is mighty on our behalf. I'm going to tell you, we do that and we remember, we remind ourselves that there is nothing too hard for him. Jeremiah 32 and verse number 17, there we find, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. You know, this is a powerful tool of faith, faith in the face of fear. David did it often. This wasn't the only time David did it. You go all the way back to one of the first times we meet David, 1 Samuel 17. And David had gone and he had gone to bring some cheese and some bread to his brothers at war. And you'll remember what happened. Goliath came calling. And when Goliath came calling, what did the armies of Israel do? They tucked tail and ran, didn't they? But David said, who is this Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? He said, I got this. Now, David's 16, 17 years old at this point. Going up against somebody like Shane Pocock, way taller than Shane Pocock. I'm going to tell you. You think David's flesh was a little bit afraid? He'd have been a fool not to be. But David's confidence wasn't in his flesh. Saul even said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a kid. And he's been a man of war from his youth. But look what David said, verse 37. He said, no, 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 no. You see, I remember. 
You see, there was a lion and a bear that came calling for the sheep. And the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion. The Lord delivered me out of the paw of the bear. And he, the Lord, will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. You know, church, situations change and that can be fearful. Situations change, but the Savior does not. And when we bring our fear, whatever it may be, and we process it through our faith, faith that finds confidence in God's person will always put fear in proper perspective. So how is it that we win the battle of faith versus fear? Number one, find confidence. In God's person. Confident in our relationship. Confident in our remembrance of what he's done. But that's not all we see David do. David in this battle of faith versus fear. Not only does he find confidence in God's person. But he also finds comfort in God's presence. Look at verse 4. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That I will see that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now mine head shall be lifted above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. So what does David do here in this battle of faith versus fear? Number one, he finds confidence in God's person. Number two, he finds comfort in God's presence. You know, practically tonight... Comfort from someone's presence is proportional to the depth of the relationship and the depth of the trust. You see, if I don't really know you, I can't really be expected to find comfort from the fact that you are here. In fact, the fact that you are here may provoke fear. So that's why we start point number one. That we have to be confident in that relationship in God's, with God's person. Because the comfort that we're going to receive from God's presence will be proportional to the depth of the relationship and the trust that we have in Him. And the more we learn to appreciate, we will learn to appreciate more of His beauty, the more we learn of His person. What does David find here? He finds comfort... Because God's presence is a shelter. In these verses we see, especially verses 4 through 6, David relentlessly seeks the Lord. He said, one thing have I desired. One thing, he said, that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days. 
David's priority, the one thing that he wanted in his distress. Now this is the one thing David wanted in his fear was not to get an answer and was not to get away even. The one thing David wanted was to get into God's presence. By the way, you think about this in the natural realm, it's an instinctual thing. If a child becomes afraid, what is their instinct to do? To run to a parent. Not even to run away, but to run to a parent. One of my children had an intense fear of beards. We've covered that one already. And dogs. The one child in particular who was fearful of beards would... When we would walk in, would immediately start scanning through that window there to find out where all you bearded men were. And then she would bury her face into my side. A child that was afraid of dogs would, would, would hide behind mom or dad or, or curl up close to the side. Why? Why is it instinctual for them to do that? I mean, they could take off running and be three blocks away. And yet, instinctually, they hug close to mom or dad's side. Why is that? Because there's something that realizes that as long as I'm close to mom or dad, the terror has to go through dad first. You know, that's how David felt about the Lord. David's desire wasn't even to get away. It was to get to God. Because David realized when he was in God's presence that whatever the terror was had to get through God before it could get to him. David describes God's presence as several, in several ways here. He describes it as a pavilion, which is a shelter. He describes it as a tabernacle, which is a holy place for God's person to dwell free from danger. He described it as a high rock, which, which is a jagged, unassailable cliff. And kind of the context here, the picture is, is that God took David, and he took him, and he set him up on a cliff. And his enemies could see him, but his enemies couldn't reach him. And so from that safe place, David would look down on all of those who sought to destroy him. But that's what God's presence is. It is a pavilion. It is a tabernacle. It is a high tower. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 describe it this way. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Psalm 57 puts it this way. I love Psalm 57. David says, be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wing will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. He said, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that will swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and truth. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of comfort in knowing that in order for it to reach me, it's got to go through him first. He is a shelter, a pavilion, comfort in the fact that his presence is shelter. But David also finds comfort in the fact that his promises are security. 
I don't know if you noticed, but when we read verses 7, 8, and 9, there was a pretty distinct shift in the tone of these verses. It was almost as if David's flesh wells up again and fear begins to overtake his soul. Notice what he says. He says in verse 7, Lord, when I cry, hear, O Lord, when I cry, have mercy upon me and answer me. When thou sayest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, to thy face, Lord, will I seek. He says, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. It's almost like David in his desperation, the fear begins to well up again. By the way, have you ever noticed that? That every time you think maybe you got a handle on something, it finds its way back to the surface. That's one of the most distinct kind of memories that I remember from, from, from Pastor Belcher, my battle with cancer those years ago. Is every time I thought, you know what? Emotionally, I got this down. I know how this goes. Like the next day, something would happen. We'd go from here to here. And every time I think I get a handle on it, the flesh wants to well up. Fear wants to well up. Distress wants to well up. Despair wants to well up. And David here, he struggles to find confidence that God will hear, that God will be near, that God won't lead him. And when David's world starts to crumble, I love what David does in verse number 10. When David's world starts to crumble, he goes back to that which doesn't change. The word of God. Verse 7, he reminds, hear, O Lord, when I cry. Or verse 8, it says, when thou saidest, seek my face. He goes back to God's word. My heart said unto thy face, O Lord, will I seek. Verse number 10, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Isn't that a grand promise from God? When David's world starts to crumble, he went back to that which doesn't change the word of God. Hey, I'm happy to report that in 2023, God's word still doesn't falter. God's word still doesn't fade. God's word doesn't fail. Isaiah 46.10 says this, declaring the end from the beginning and the, from the ancient uh, times, the things which are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure." You know, the thing about God's word is no matter where you find yourself, we can always run to it and find comfort and safety in the precious promises of God. That's one of the reasons I'm such a big proponent of studying it every single day. Because you know what? It's a whole lot easier to know where to run in God's word when you've been through it once or twice. It's a whole lot easier to know where to run when you've been there before. When the Holy Spirit has something that he can bring up in your heart. And I'm going to tell you, faith that finds comfort in God's presence and God's promises. You know, that kind of faith will always put fear in its place. So how do we win this battle of faith versus fear? Number one, we see from David that we can find confidence in God's person. It doesn't matter if armies come up against me. I'm not going to fear. Secondly, we can find confidence in God's presence. I want you to see finally tonight that we can find clarity in God's purpose. 
we can find clarity in God's purpose. Verse 11 to the end of the chapter, David says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, as such as breathe out cruelty. David said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Would you read verse 14 in unison with me? David says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We find confidence in God's person. We find comfort in God's presence. We can find clarity in God's purpose. You know, very often our fear is found in the unknown. I just, I don't know what's going to happen with this. I don't know how to handle this. This feels too big for me. Fear is often found in the unknown. And when it comes to the unknown, a little clarity can go a long way. Clarity can be gained from God's clear guidance. You know, David's desire here in verse number 11, Teach me thy way, O Lord. And lead me in a plain path. David's desire here is that God will make his path plain. The idea of making a path plain is to make it clear or to make it straight. Make it easily understandable. This is the way that I'm supposed to go. Now, can I point out here, and I think this is really good for us tonight, this is different than saying, Lord, make my road easy. That's what my prayer often is. God, remove the enemy. God, remove the obstacle. God, remove the hardship. God, remove the illness. God, remove the burden. But David's prayer, I mean, David didn't want to be given over to the will of his enemies. He prays that in verse 12. But David's prayer wasn't make my path easy. It was make my path plain. God, if you just show me where to go, I will go that way. I'm going to tell you, that's an important distinction for us. Because the reality is, God wants to guide us. God wants to give you direction. God wants to give you direction more than you want direction from Him. But God will not force His direction on us. And the question is, do we want our will or do we want His will? Our will often says easy. That's not always God's will. And so sometimes when I persist in asking for easy, I persist in waiting for easy, I persist in looking for easy, what happens? When I persist in looking for easy, I miss plain. I miss plain. Do I want my will? Or do I want his? The honest answer to that question will determine the guidance you receive. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 remind us of this very, very wonderful truth. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And what happens? And he shall direct thy path. 
I'm afraid that there are a whole lot of Christians who are sitting waiting for easy, who are whining and waiting for easy, and they're missing the fact that God wants to plainly show them what to do. I can't tell you how many times as pastor I have talked to people. I remember when I was down in Florida on one of my recruiting trips talking with a young man. And, and he was internally struggling with some, some, some what would God have me to do and what should I do and what about and what ifs. And, and there were some real fears about if he went this route or that route or this route. And, well, I feel God's calling me to do this, but, but I think maybe if I can do this and this and this. And at one point I just stopped him and I said, it's been good talking to you, but I think, I think you know what God wants you to do. And you're over here shaking this door and God's pointing and pointing that. I think you know what God wants you to do. And you know what? Very often, if we just take that step back, and we say, what would the Lord have me to do? The answer is really not as complicated as we've made it out to be. David said, make my way plain. Lead me in a plain path. And I'm going to tell you, a little light goes a long way when you're scared of the dark. And we can find clarity from God's clear guidance. But not only can we find some clarity from God's clear guidance, we can find some clarity from God's constant goodness. Verse 13 and 14, we see David had almost began to faint. He had almost begun to lose hope. He had almost begun to be swallowed by fear and despair. But then in that moment when fear would over have overtaken his soul, David began to anticipate what God was going to do next. You see, David knew some things about the goodness of God. David knew, number one, that the goodness of God was to be expected in his life. Psalm 84, 11. We find here in this psalm, the Bible says, For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Read that last part with me. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. You see, David knew some things about the goodness of God. He knew that the goodness of God is to be expected in my life. He also knew that the goodness of God is to be endless. Psalm 23 and verse number 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. You know what that means, follow me? It means to pursue with intent. And so it's not some lost puppy dog trying to figure out where you are. It is pursuing you with intent, like a hunter hunts prey. The goodness and mercy of God is hunting you down all the days of my life. Man, that's a good thought. And I love the fact that there's no caveat on that. There's no asterisk like there is on the Coles coupons, ladies. We can take it at face value. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And guess what? When those are over, what does it say? Read it with me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. You see, David knew some things about the goodness of God. He knew the goodness of God was to be expected in his life. He knew that the goodness of God was to be endless in his life. And he knew that the goodness of God was to be effective to accomplish all the purposes God had for him. And you know what? David began to realize that that. Fear, that uncertainty, that darkness, that distress, that which was unknown, that which was unexpected, that which was uncontrollable, that which seemed like it was ready to overwhelm him, his soul. Oh no, that was just a setup for God to do his work. Let me give you an analogy. If you've ever ridden a roller coaster, roller coasters are designed. To use fear to thrill. They're designed to pull you out of your comfort zone. To get you all turned and twisted around. So that you can have a good time. They're designed to use fear to thrill. Now, roller coasters might not be everybody's thing. But let's just back up. And you can understand the principle though. Why is it that people ride these mechanical death traps? Because even though, even though fear and the unknown and the unexpected and the uncontrollable is all at play, even though fear is that reality, here's what we realize. It is, once you start clicking up that hill, you realize, all right, at this point, it is out of my control. But you know what? I'm probably in pretty good hands. Because you have a level of trust in the engineers, not the teenagers who strapped you in, but the engineers <laughs> who built the thing. It may be out of my control, but I, I can believe that I'm in good hands. And so then what happens? Fear. Fear becomes a thrill. I'm going to tell you, you might be facing some things tonight that are outside of your control. You might not have a lot of control over what those tests are going to show next time you go to the doctor. You might not have a lot of control about how they're going to treat you at work tomorrow. You might not have a lot of control about what, what faces you down the road or those things that, that you worry about when you can't go to... You might not have a lot of control about that. But here's the thing. You can trust that you're in good hands. You can trust that you're in good hands. Because God has proven over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that He is good and He is only good and He is always good. And I'm going to tell you, faith that finds clarity in God's purposes will always overcome fear. Wait, I say, on, wait on the Lord, David said. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, we all know what fear is. We've all felt the flesh tremble at one time or another. But I want you to see if David denied that in this battle of faith versus fear. And by the way, it is the battle. Because you can't really live in faith and live in fear. 
want you to see tonight from David that no matter the fear, you can face it and overcome it by finding confidence in God's person, by finding comfort from God's presence, and finding clarity from God's purpose. He is the key to overcoming fear. Why is that, preacher? Well, we talked about it earlier. We fear the unknown. We fear the unexpected. We fear the uncontrollable. Well, it's unknown, unexpected, and uncontrollable to us, but not to him. But not to him. And I want to encourage you tonight, no matter what you face, no matter what your unknown may be, no matter what or who rears their head against you, face it in the spirit of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid?